What's going on in the world? It's your boy, the Puerto Rican Powerhouse Mike for Hyde, the podcast version himself, Christian Joe Ramos. Back at it again with a brand new review. And today we're going to continue what we did last time. And we're going to review some old classics here, some old espionage films, uh, if, you, if you may. Uh, Mission Impossible 2, simply titled. Back in the days, we used to just number movies. Who, who would have thought something was so simple, right? Um, same, let's get to it. Uh, we have a similar cast here. Uh, we have Tom Cruise and the titular character Ethan Hunt. It's him. This is always about the character Ethan Hunt and his missions. Uh, directed by John Woo. Okay, so it's been four years since the first movie. It is Hong Kong director John Woo, who was coming fresh off of, man, what movies did he do at the time? Let me just actually give you the history lesson of film here. So before 2000, my man was making Face Off, one of the best action movies ever. I will stand on that shit. The Face Off is a classic with uh, John Travolta and Nicolas Cage. So to go from that to Tom Cruise isn't far off. I mean, it sounds like perfect, uh, perfect resume builder right there. Uh, he did Broken Arrow, Hard Target, Hard Boiled, uh, Once a Once a Thief, Bullet in the Head. My man did everything. Uh, Better Tomorrow, Better Tomorrow Two, Heroes Shed No Tears, The Killer. Uh, let's just say his resume of action. And, this, and his resume starts in the 80s. Like he, it goes to go on and on. So I can continue, but I'm not going to. Uh, so they got a John Woo director's film, which is different than the first one. First one was very much minimal action. Uh, very minimal. It's mostly a lot of verbiage, a lot of just things happening. And, and it, it was a drama, right? It's, it had some action towards the end of the film. And you had some kerfuffles, I guess, in the beginning of the movie. kind of set the tone. But most of the movie is just a... Big mystery. It's just like a big mystery movie for anything. Like, who's the, the bad guy? Who's the mole? This movie's a little bit different. It gives you the enemy right up front. So, Dr. Vladimir Nekhorshev, a biogenesis scientist, sends a message to the IMF to, uh, for Dimitri, Ethan Hunt's cover name, his old friend. He warns him that his employer in biocyte pharmaceuticals forced him to develop a biological weapon to profit for uh, from the cure. It sounds like conspiracies, things you'd hear in 4chan and, and Reddit, or on certain podcasts, we will not name. Uh, but he injects himself with the chimera virus and carries it as a remedy, carries its remedy, Belloforin, in a bag. However, the IMF agent, Sean Ambrose, who was disguised as Dimitri, goes rogue, betrays Nekorchev, is his really name Nekorchev? That's funny. And steals the Belloforin, who pretty much the man's dead. Because he can't heal himself from this virus that he gave himself. The IMF director, Swanbeck, informs Ethan about Ambrose's actions and tasks him with recovering the virus and its cure. Simple plot of the film. So let's go over my notes here, shall we? Let's see Mission Impossible Dose. Uh, we start off in Sydney, Australia, where this is happening. Biocyte Pharmaceuticals, the Chimera is made a lab by a scientist. We know his name. He asks for Dimitri, a.k.a. Ethan Hunt, to meet him in Atlanta, Georgia. So they want to go to Sydney. He wants them to fly to Sydney together so they can fly together to Atlanta. And he obliges, but it's not. It's Ambrose, the shy Ambrose guys, who also has that face mask technology. So you think it's Ethan Hunt on the plane. And no, it's somebody disguises Ethan. So this guy literally knows what's going on. Ethan is Dimitri. Quote unquote, but he's actually Ambrose disguised as Ethan. So it's a, it's a lot of <laughs> covers here. So he's playing along the doctor to get a hold of the chimera drugs. The cabin pressure drops and oxygen masks come off, right? And the co pilot passes out. The man passing as Ethan isn't actually Ethan. He takes off his mask to reveal who he is to the doctor before he kills him. 
and cracks his neck. The real Ethan, though, is free haloing the Grand Canyon, I believe, here. He's literally hiking with no equipment. This man is crazy. But then again, I will believe Tom Cruise would be doing some shit like this because he's Tom Cruise. He does a lot of crazy shit. So Ethan climbs to the top and a federal helicopter shoots a missile near him with a message. I'm like, what a weird way to just send him that message. You could just, I don't know, drop the drop the, a, a damn notebook or something or, or even landed the chopper on the top of the flat part of the mountain. I don't know why... This extra, it, it was extra, very extra. But of course, everything was extra in the 2000s. I can tell you, everything was, in the previous podcast, everything's extreme in the 2000s. There was a lot of like extreme sports and ex, like, you know, snowboarding and, and uh, X Games, skateboarding, BMX riding. Like this stuff was surfing. Things that are like super over the top were normalizing and becoming cool. And this is where you get the puka necklaces and the cut-off t-shirts and the and the obsession with monster energy like i'm just saying it's just it, it, it was translated to films too so these the movie came off kind of cheesy when i first saw it but I'm like it's really a movie of its time so i get it they were going for like a very 2000s aesthetic and i guess they nailed it because it felt like something out of like fast and furious i'm sorry that's what it felt like so the chimera is made in the lab it's now out in the market and what do we do? So the real Ethan is free hailing the Grand Canyon, comes up top, gets a message for a mission if he accepts. And there's some sunglasses in there in the tube with a letter. And sunglasses are a smart screen. Oh, it's not even a letter. It was just glasses the whole time. The glasses are like a smart screen. So this is technology 20 years in advance. Apple hasn't gotten to this one just yet. So, uh, or Google, actually, I should say. Google smart glasses first. Um, the sunglasses are a smart screen on the mission assignment and explaining what just happened. Two, men, two team members are allowed and the third one has to be one of their choice who happens to be not a team member at all but a civilian by the name of Naya Nordoff Hell. She is a super thief, kind of like a cat burglar for like the rich and she's located right now in Seville, Spain. Um, so there's a party at the club, gambling in Spain and there are dancers outside, like you know, professional dancers, not like strippers. <laughs> I had to clarify because I know where my audience's head goes at. And <laughs> Ethan spots Naya and then locks eyes because she's stunning. And he, and he falls for her. So Naya heads upstairs to steal something there in the owner's of the mansion's bedroom. And she blends in as a guest at the party. And she finds her way into her the private master bathroom. And there's a safe hidden in the bathtub. And Ethan spooks her as she's trying to steal this necklace. So they both hide as the owner's walking in to change his shirt and leaves. And and they're very intimately close because they're both in the tub trying to not be seen. So the owner, sadly enough, the, uh, Ethan, as the owner leaves, triggers an alarm. But um, as, as like, why would you blow your own cover? And then the owner identifies Ethan, who's Mr. Keys, his head of security engineering. He's like, oh, my God. So he did it as a practical joke on her. Like, hey, I could have had you caught and arrested. But luckily... I'm actually in on this. <laughs> so Naya plays along with him so she isn't caught. And she's like his assistant or something and gives back the necklace you stole <laughs> unwittingly. <laughs> but again, this is just a test they're running for security in this mansion because the guy is rich. So Ethan sees her out and offers her a job and she refuses and speeds off. And she's like, I would have been good to follow you. I would have done it all myself. And yeah, okay. So the next morning, she's cruising the highway, and who's behind her? Nothing other than Ethan Hunt on his own convertible, uh, and he calls her in the car phone, and she's like, how do you get a sunburn? He's like, eh, I, find my, I have my ways. 
So we get a car scene here, and then she gets out of control, losing control of her car, and he saves her, and then they end up sleeping together. Because why would she be the guy that saved your life? I mean, it, <laughs> I'm not saying I'm an advocate for that, but this is what 2000s movies were like, right? This is what, like, oh, you're my hero. Let me ever uh, pay you back. And I mean, there was some sexual tension between them. I will say there was, but it wasn't to, to the severity of this. But I guess uh, you can call saving someone's life an icebreaker. Especially when they're the ones who put themselves in a situation, right? They just couldn't just take... I mean, I guess he couldn't take a no for a no either. So nobody's innocent here. Um, so there's a special a Spanish festival going on for the Saints uh, in the city. And Dr. Vladimir is uh, is dead thanks to Ambrose. So Ambrose and Naya had a relationship. Um, so this was... A, I'm sorry. That setup was for Anthony Hopson's character, who is the, I guess, the IMF leader in Spain right now. What is his name? My man, Anthony Hopkins, plays, do, 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 do. He appears an uncredited cameo uh, of Commander Swanbeck. There we go. So his name is Swanbeck. He's the guy that runs things in Spain uh, for IMF. Um, so he's there. Ambrose and I had a relationship. That's the reason why he wanted her and her team. Ethan got too close to the contact, and he got lost track of sight of what the mission was and got too deep into it. Funny even knowing why her involvement was even required. So... Ethan tells her the plan. She isn't having it because that means she has to like go back to him and live with him, even though this guy is a menace. And of course, she left him for reasons. So there's no way that they can just arrange that she goes back to him, crawling back to him, right as like this virus is out. Like things just—he's he, an agent. He's gonna think like an agent. So like things just seem really too off. So Ethan arranges an imprisonment for Naya. Oh, by the way, I forgot to say who plays Naya. Um, let's see here. Thandy Newton. Dandy, is that how you say her name? Thandy Newton? Uh, great actress. Um, she, again, studying now, studying then. Uh, she, it was, she plays really good uh, co-host, co, co co, no, co-star. There we go. <laughs> I can't see the words today. Um, and they have this natural chemistry. So in Sean's, this guy that's like very much the abusive ex-boyfriend you don't want to go back and visit but since it's part of a mission and she can pretty much get guarantees some money out of this she accepts so sean isn't dumb he knows there's a chance that she's a trojan horse when she's sent back by imf because they know they he knows they know his history so his head of security's got her his eyes on her so they head to the horse track the following day while sean is grabbing naya a drink because she asked Ethan sends her an earpiece via somebody else who works there, and they both communicate as he's on the opposite side of the horse track, and they can talk. Uh, so Naya and Ethan scheme to plan to grab it, to grab an envelope in Ambrose's left jacket, po jacket pocket, so if Ethan can get something he needs there without a trace. So Doctor Sergei Gransky tapes are showing this quick death in 34 hours after Chimera, pretty much how quickly this virus can actually kill a person. Ethan tells Naya that her job is done here. She doesn't need to be involved more than this, but she wants to continue the mission and see it through. So the biocyte scientist is killed in a, allegedly killed in a limo. Right? You just think he's dead because he goes, the guy that runs biocyte, he's in a limo with a driver that's not his typical driver, and then smoke happens, like, you know, smoke screen, then he just knocks out. He awakes in a hospital bed with like tubing up his nose and a, in, in hospital garb and they confess to him that he's been uh, contaminated with Chimera and they're trying to blackmail him. So the doctor John 
see McCloy confesses to his crimes and all he did to get Benedophile. This is the doctor we're still speaking of. And Ambrose disguised as Ethan asks Naya not to alarm Ambrose and do whatever Ambrose says for the time being. So as this is happening here, the real Ethan takes his mask off. He's the one under Ambrose's face. And, and Ambrose is wearing Ethan's face. Kind of like double-crossing <laughs> Naya because he's, again, he's smart. He knows what's going on. So Ambrose knows Hunt works, how he works, and it's usually more stealthier than this in the competition. So Ethan and Luther are planning on how to get Ambrose. Will be really needing a good trap to catch this man because he's he's a former again this time not the mole because they know who it is but he's a former agent he's a rogue agent so anything they do he's always two steps ahead so Ethan bungees down from a chopper <laughs> of course he's gonna at night top of the building at farm pharmacy a biosite sorry and Ethan falls through this vent that is like perfectly timed and he has to get through the vent and have the bungee jump back up before it's trapped and brings a chopper down and manages to open the air vent just in time with Luther manning it and another uh, well let's just read the cast here shall we, we forgot some of the people here uh, the helicopter pilot is John Pol Polson uh, he plays Billy Bard who's got like this very uh, I don't know if it's Irish or Scottish very strong accent no Ozzy he's Ozzy that's what it was in this film because they're in Sydney so it makes sense why his accent's so strong is in strong Australian accent. And Ving Rhames reprises roles Luther Stickwell, uh, Stickle, sorry. And then uh, Rod Zerbetsjiga is the guy who plays Dr. Vladimir Nikovic, uh, the creator of the Chimera at Biosite. And uh, Brendan Gleason is John C. McCloy, the CEO of Biosite in Australia. This is the guy that they kidnapped, and he is an evil man. I mean, there's nothing really redeemable about him. And the right-hand man security guard played by Richard Roxburgh is Hugh, uh, his name is Hugh Stamp. And he plays the right-hand man of Ambrose, who has pretty much knows what's going on here. Like, he is very well aware of Naya's, like, return just being too much of a coincidence. So Ambrose knows Hunt is in. Ethan bungees down. He's in there. He's trying to get through the rest of the chimera and destroy it before he's sought out. So he has 19 seconds to return the cable back before the hatch closes up and he manages to do it. So he now he's infiltrating the destroy the base and he's destroying the tubes once he gets through all these traps and he's interrupted by Sean Ambrose and his crew who catch him in this glass. Because this thing is floating in the air like a clear HVAC vent and they start shooting at him in a huge shooting. Like he's just there dodging bullets like it's Neo Matrix. And he's just, for dear life, just trying to find the cover. So luckily he brought his own gun this time. Uh, Luther realizes his van has an explosive under it because obviously if they found Ethan, they found who his IT guy is, his guy, you know, I the sky guy is, and runs for his life before the truck explodes. And luckily he does. So one last tube of Chimera is left. Ambrose sends Naya to grab the last dose of Chimera, the senior Ethan, as she does. And she does the unbelievable. And she tastes the Chimera herself. So now she's the walking $400 million virus because they have to extract it out of her. So she doses herself with the Chimera. Naya gets close to Ethan and lets loose an explosion in the lab. Ethan is infiltrating in, the down, in downtown Sydney as he's trying to get through and is setting off explosives and, and a grenade and... It's, things are going off as he's trying to get to Ambrose. So he sees Ambrose and is, um, he's, he seems caught and Ambrose is ready to shoot him when Ethan is mumbling something. The, the Ethan he killed was actually 
his bodyguard who was taken up by Ethan earlier, who they put a face mask on with like duct tape on his mouth so he couldn't speak and he was tied up. And it was a bait and switch, and so he could escape. So he killed his own guy, which mind you, he did a weird, like really cynical thing and he was having a cigar cutter and he pretty much was telling his bodyguard, you're overreacting. And then he takes his freaking pinking fingertip and cuts it off. It's crazy. So that was a dead giveaway once Ambrose shot Ethan. He's like, wait a minute, his pinky is bleeding. No, it can't be. And he sees the face mask and yep, kill your own guy. So Ethan escapes on the motorcycles. Ambrose chases him on his own motorcycle. Uh, so we got a motorcycle chase scene. That was cool here. And Ethan manages to lose all of Ambrose's goons as they get hit with all kinds of traffic in Sydney. And they have a fight in the beach. A huge epic fight that was like one historic one because there's a point where a knife almost reaches uh, his eye and that was like not cgi that was literally a <laughs> blade almost puncturing tom cruise's eye this man is fearless i swear to god and it looked great for the film but my god it was just like so unnecessarily not needed this way safety precautions are not tom cruise's favorite thing is it <laughs> so yeah they have this crazy fight where it looks like ambrose has the upper hand and he manages to, uh, so Ethan manages to lose all of Ambrose's goons, fight on the beach, take him out. Naya, who's about to commit suicide off a cliff, so she doesn't suffer off the side effects of the, of the chimera until Ethan teams, finds and grabs her. So Ethan subdues Sean Ambrose, but lets him live. Ambrose has a gun as he's walking away. Luckily, Ethan does, does as well, and bang, he just offs him and shoots him up with his gun, and Ambrose is officially a... No more. His, this agent has been taken out and unalived. So Ethan was instructed to bring back a living sample of the Chimera virus, but it was all destroyed in the lab fire. So obviously, thankfully, Naya is there, so he has, they can heal her of the Chimera and give the cure, and that way this drug is never to see the light of day. So after all this happens, Ethan finally goes back on his vacation. Because in the beginning of the film, they mentioned, like, hey, next time we're on vacation, you let us know where you are. But at the end of the movie, Anthony, uh, Anthony Hopkins' character is like, hey, next time we go on vacation, don't tell us where we are. <laughs> so, one thing about this movie I found hysterical is Ethan is a simp for this woman that he just met. Rookie mistake right there. And they need, his team needs her on the team. So, something should have been up where he's slacking. And this movie, again, Mission Impossible 2 wasn't the best film of the series. It was definitely one of the... Funny enough, it got a 56% God. So it got 10% less than, than of the original. But an audience score of 42. So it wasn't even well received by the audiences. But it made the same profit. Both films made over $500 million. So I find it hilarious how a movie that made so much money. I guess they had hope for the first one that this one was going to be good. But the first one wasn't really that. I mean, was the first one the first one loved? Let's actually double check that. The first one had an audience score of 71. So it was okay. The movies were okay this time. I think something happened in Tom Cruise's mind from 2000 to 2006 that the movies just had to be good. He really had to step his game up to make the series work. And by the third movie, you see a change of pace in a good way. So this is the second movie. Um, the first one was 85. This one was a straight 60 for me. It was okay, simplistic, very dated, 2000s. Um, not even just the music, but 2000s camera shots. And again, it felt like I was watching one of the Fast and Furious films as far as like the way it was presented to you as a, as a movie goer. Does it hold up? Not at all. And again, the music doesn't hold up because music is always subjective of eras, I guess. But at least they tried to add music in this one, but they just didn't really 
focus on score. That's what I should have said the first movie. The first movie had no score. This one had somewhat of a score, but it sounded like 2000s Tekken music, <laughs> which I guess vary for the era. Um, so I think by the third film, they finally get it right, and it kind of just skyrockets into the stratosphere and becomes the, the, the franchise we know it as now. But until then... This has been my review of Mission Impossible 2. We'll be back with a third review, of course, of Mission Impossible 3. And that'll be coming up soon. But for now, thank you for tuning in. As always, this is Christian Joel Ramos, the podcast mercenary, a.k.a. the Puerto Rican Kaiser, the Puerto Rican Pirates himself. Signing off till next time. I'm out.